He is more than a story. He is more than a comic book superhero. He is more than a symbol of hope. He represents our greatest aspirations. He is everything we think we can be. And yet, even with all the strength and all the power in all of the world, he may not be able to meet his greatest challenges and redeem his family's legacy. For he is the son of El. Chapter 8 Super Friends Clark's second encounter with Kryptonite had been more severe than his first, but in the light of his broken heart, he seemed to recover faster. Again, he was noticeably depressed to many of his co-workers at the Daily Planet, yet his powers had returned by the time he had managed to pull himself off of his apartment floor. This left him able to help others as Superman, even if he didn't know how to help himself. Jonathan and Martha tried to gently intervene. Martha was convinced he was malnourished, even though he insisted that he didn't need to eat. Nonetheless, she served him extra plates of food when he visited. Jonathan did his best not to pry while offering Clark some suggestions. You know, Clark, you take a lot on yourself. It might do you some good if you had more friends who shared in your hobbies. Clark chuckled between bites of pancakes. If only I had time for hobbies. I mean other superheroes, son. Do you know many? I've met a few. And? Martha sat down to join them at the table, digging into her own stack of pancakes. Have you heard of the man in Freeland with all the lightning bolts? Lightning bolts? Out of his hands. In Freeland? Oh yeah, he's supposed to be very popular there. Not so popular with the police, but the community seems to love him. Jonathan joined in making suggestions. There's also that woman in Africa. What country is that, Martha? Zam? Zam something. Zambezi, Jonathan. Thank you, darling. That's right, Zambezi. She is something else. She's supposed to be as fast as a cheetah and hits as hard as a rhinoceros. Martha finished chewing, eager to chime in. They call her Vixen, and she's a supermodel, too. A pretty one. You definitely ought to meet her. Oh, Jonathan, you cut it out. But really, Clark, you ought to meet both of them if you can. Jonathan came back to his original message. It's good to have friends with common interests, son. Clark took their advice to heart and did some reaching out. In Freeland, he found Black Lightning. He was a large, congenial black man with an outrageously showy costume, a glow with illuminated lightning bolts on his chest. Black Lightning was happy to give Superman a walking tour of his neighborhood. This man had not only eliminated gangs and drug dealers there, he had become a pillar in the community. Clark appreciated how much Black Lightning's genuine commitment was felt by everyone he spoke to in the neighborhood. In Zambezi, Vixen greeted him warmly. She spoke English eloquently, along with several other languages. You don't have to call me Vixen. That is a title my modeling agent came up with. My name is Marijiwe. It's a pleasure to meet you, Marijiwe. You may call me Mari, but what may I call you? Clark gave a little pause before answering. Please, call me Kalel. She and her family invited him to a dinner that turned into a feast attended by all of the village. The festivities lifted Clark's spirits. He and Mari got along like old friends. The celebration felt like a holiday, returning Clark to his life with new vigor. 
In between his regular work and his heroics, Clark made sure to include visiting other superheroes as part of his routine. He got around to reaching out to the Flash once again, and they began to organize a race between the two of them. An extravagant event was held in Central City, full of music, vendors, and celebrity guests. This event was not the race itself. The Flash called it a pre-race announcement festival. All of it was to reveal there was going to be a race on another date. Also, the race itself would be a fundraiser for two competing charities, each charity represented by one of the two heroes. This wasn't what Clark thought he'd signed up for. There were at least two more press events leading up to the race. Hey Flash, is all of this really necessary? I mean, isn't four events a bit much? Oh no. I've learned when you have a chance to make a spectacle out of your powers, and it isn't during some disaster or an insane dude with some crazy stolen technology, you milk it for all it's worth. Four events is not that many. I mean like, how many chances does Central City get to have Superman in town? Put that way, it was a bit flattering. Clark went along with the fanfare. It was for charity after all. The celebration in Central City contrasted sharply with Superman's next visit to Starling. Green Arrow, Black Canary, and Wildcat were clearly annoyed by Superman's visit to their headquarters. Wildcat especially had a chip on his shoulder. He was clearly older than the other two, and was held in great deference by them both, especially Black Canary. They let Wildcat do most of the talking. Your little courtesy call is cute, but for those of us who aren't impervious to harm, this isn't a game. I'm sorry. I was just hoping to get to know you all better. Black Canary backed her mentor almost taking a fighting stance as she spoke. Well, maybe we haven't decided how much we want to be known by you. Clark heard in her voice the faintest crack in her austerity. Though they were off-put, Clark suspected she would be willing to get to know him. If there's anything I can do to help... Clark never finished that sentence. The arrow ended the conversation in a calm and collected manner. Don't worry. We'll let you know. Thanks. The other two left their own headquarters before he finished speaking. The Green Arrow followed after them. It reminded Superman of his encounter in Gotham. He had felt even less welcome there. Yet even after all these months, Clark still had so many questions for Batman. As he flew home from Starling, heading east to Metropolis, Clark convinced himself that it was for the best that he veered toward Gotham instead. It was still daylight out. He wondered if he might be able to catch Bruce Wayne at home. As expected, Wayne Manor was a massive mansion, but Clark could sense it was more than it appeared to be. He was learning how to feel the winds that blew off of him. He could use them like a kind of antenna, like a cat's whiskers. With this sense, he could feel an elaborate cave system intersecting below the house. Superman flew through one of the openings. Batman met him with a long, chilling glare as he entered, giving Clark his doubts as to whether he had made the right choice in coming there. The main chamber of the cave was decked with industrial scaffolding, its walls were lined with equipment containers and a massive array of terminals. Clark wasn't sure, but it seemed to him that for every field of science that was being studied, the cave had a workstation devoted to it. Landing on the same platform as Batman, the two of them stood in silence. The cave murmured with the sound of bats as they whispered under the hum of computers. Clark wondered if he should have said something before then, or if it was better to wait and be greeted. Just as he was on the brink of breaking the silence, Batman finally spoke. Well, if it isn't Clark Kent. You know, usually only the bats fly through that entrance. I'm sorry. I bet you are. How do you know I'm Clark Kent? It wasn't hard to figure out. The first article you wrote about yourself was a dead giveaway. 
Everything the article avoided discussing told me its writer was hiding something. Clark blushed with embarrassment, burying his face in his palm. Oh man, was it that obvious? Batman's tone seemed to soften in the slightest. I doubt anyone else noticed. I only confirmed my suspicions just now and you gave it all away. Clark felt even more foolish, but Batman had little patience for it. Now, tell me, why are you here? Superman had to take a breath to know where to start. This was going surprisingly well, and he wanted to make a good impression. It's about Luther. I have questions. I'm sure you do. What does Luther mean when he says he destroyed Krypton? And what exactly is Kryptonite? And how does it rob me of my strength? It robs you of your strength. Superman was amused to hear there was something Batman didn't know, though Batman did not pause to dwell on it. What do you know about Krypton? Its orbit. Its destruction. Its relationship to Earth. Clark filled in Batman the best he could, explaining his dream and what Jor-El had told him. But all of his knowledge of the planet ended there. Batman took it all in, pondering Clark's perspective before he expanded on it. Luther's family, and my own, have always known about Krypton. It has been our job to know about Krypton for generations. Our families are members of a group who have made it their sole purpose since Enki's death to ensure the destruction of Krypton. We have determinedly worked on Krypton's demise for thousands of years. Clark had not expected a simple answer to his question, though neither had he expected an all-encompassing conspiracy paralleling the rise of humanity. Batman went on to explain. Long before Enki's murder, the Kryptonians had chosen families to maintain order on Earth while they were gone for millennia at a time. These humans were dubbed the Light Keepers. It was their families, families like the Waynes and Luthers, that inherited the responsibility of keeping society intact over generations. Yet when the Kryptonians last left, the Light Keepers formed a new pact. They believed Enki's death forewarned their own destruction. Enlil's reputation all but ensured it. For humanity's protection, the Light Keepers planned to betray their so-called gods and destroy Krypton upon its return. Around the world, their families maintained wealth as the ruling class. All the while, throughout the ages, they orchestrated wars between their nations. Amidst the endless array of activities humans can spend their efforts on, the Light Keepers devoted themselves to ensuring that as much effort as possible was spent on war. They wanted humanity's imagination and energy devoted to developing greater weapons of destruction. The goal was to create a global arsenal that could destroy Earth 60 times over. This global nuclear stockhold was always intended for Krypton. Luther's family had done more for weapons manufacturing than any other. They had made Krypton's destruction their own vendetta. When the planet of their former gods finally returned, the Light Keepers let the world believe a comet was headed toward Earth. It was said that the comet could only be stopped if the nations of Earth united. Their collective arsenal was sent to Krypton, destroying the giant planet on the far side of the asteroid belt, between Jupiter and Mars. Batman explained that its scattered fragments still sometimes rained into the Earth's atmosphere. Among them were radioactive crystal shards, kryptonite. Batman had not actually seen these stones for himself, but Clark described them to him in detail, both in how they looked and what they did to him. I don't know why it is, but the second I see the stuff I can't move, and it hurts to touch, but in a way that's hard to describe. Batman was surprisingly perplexed, though remained cool-headed. I don't know why it harms you in particular, but if we can get a sample, perhaps we can find out. Clark remembered the small chip of kryptonite Corbin left in the drain pipe. 
I might know where to find a piece. Hold on a moment. Clark closed his eyes and put his fingers to his temple in an attempt to concentrate. He called out telepathically to Jean Jones with his mind, asking him to retrieve the kryptonite from the drainpipe. Jean revealed that he had already gone back for it. After a brief moment, Superman turned back to Batman. The kryptonite is secure. Should I have it brought here? If so, I should probably go before it gets here. Batman's usual scowl became especially severe. First of all, never send anyone here, ever. You shouldn't even be here. Second, if that was the Martian you were communicating with just now, I recommend you cease doing so, immediately. There's no telling what thoughts of yours he has already gone through. Clark tried to stifle a chuckle. Well, I wouldn't know how to stop him if he tried. Of course you don't. And you do? Batman answered the question by giving Superman an icy stare. Superman was less than impressed. Oh, come on. Am I supposed to read your mind or something? Or are you proving I couldn't if I tried? We don't know if we can trust him. He saved my life. I think we can trust him. Maybe he was only returning the favor. How do you know about that? My job is to know things. Well then, mister, my job is to know things. Where should he bring the kryptonite if he isn't bringing it here? Batman sat down at his computer console and began working as they spoke. He should bring it to Ivy University in New England. I want Ray Palmer to have a look at it. Wait, you don't work alone? I do mostly, but I know when to outsource. Palmer made this suit for me. Nanite technology. It absorbs kinetic energy. It's the same material Black Canary and Arrow wear. Y'all have the same kind of suits? Most of us do. Except for the Flash. His suit is different. It regulates friction as well. Palmer is the foremost authority on nanos. He has a special touch on the atomic scale that no one can match. Have your Martian friend bring him the kryptonite. Clark smiled in confirmation. He's already on his way. Batman returned this comment with a glare of cold silence. Superman could only offer back a coy shrug. Batman rolled his eyes under the cowl covering his face. In the meantime, while Palmer analyzes the kryptonite, I want you to meet Mr. Terrific. Mr. Terrific? It's a moniker Michael Holt works under. He thinks of himself as the smartest man in the world. He'll be able to build a monitoring system able to track meteorites from Krypton. Any that have fallen, and any more still on the way. We need to stop any potential sources Luther has for kryptonite. Him and anyone else who may want to control you. Clark had not considered there could be so much kryptonite that Batman had suggested. Nor had he thought there might be others in the world who would go to such an extent to hurt him. Batman had already thought this through far more than he had. The way he described the situation, it didn't sound as though kryptonite was going away anytime soon. Superman needed a more immediate plan. Well, in the meantime, do you think there's anything I can do? You know, anything to lessen its effect on me? Batman sat quietly contemplating Superman's question, giving it far more gravity than Clark intended. It's your fears. You need to examine your deepest fears. Own them for what they are, and give up on them. Until you do, they will consume you when it really matters and you'll be powerless to them. Clark awkwardly shuffled. This was not the kind of response he was ready to hear. It almost made no sense to him at all. Though he had invited the advice, Clark thought it better to say nothing further. He was far from ready to examine what Batman meant. He sought to wrap up the conversation. Just then, a small child's voice called from the shadows. Bruce? A little boy peeked his head out of an adjacent door. 
Dick, tell Alfred I'll be up in a moment. Batman turned back to Superman. You should go now. Don't come back here. I'll call you. No need to call me. Go see Mr. Terrific. He has time for you. Clark flew away, taking Batman's advice with him. That very week, he met Mr. Terrific at his base of operations in Motorton. Clark was pleasantly surprised by his personable attitude. Hey, hey, I'm Mr. Terrific. Good to meet you. I'm Superman, of course. Nice. It's good to meet you, too. Mr. Terrific sported a custom tracksuit and boldly wore a large metallic letter T painted in the middle of his face, serving as a kind of mask. Its silver sheen contrasted with his dark complexion. Clark was curious about his name. Can I ask, why do you go by Mr. Terrific? And why the T? Oh, it's all marketing, baby. But look at you. You already knew that, didn't you, Superman? Clark laughed at the jest as Mr. Terrific went on. I just can't believe Batman sent you to me. Why is that? Well, he and I have a little competition going on. We like to one-up each other, so I'm a little surprised he wouldn't want to beat me to this. Clark suspected Batman was pawning the studio off onto Mr. Terrific, but didn't mention it. Mr. Terrific was obviously proud of his work. He had already gotten the data he needed. Using it, he constructed a global map of all the sites that Kryptonite had potentially landed since Krypton's destruction. Clark was deeply relieved to see the map wasn't nearly as spotted as he had feared. Mr. Terrific explained, Most of the Kryptonite is already burned up in the atmosphere, and you seem to have been functioning fine all this time, so that's nothing for us to worry about. The map had various dots of different hues. Clark sought to learn all he could about them. What are the colored markers? Well, the yellow ones are where we would only find fragments, if anything. The light green ones are where we would likely find kryptonite in small deposits. And the dark green ones, those are the big chunks. What about the bluish green ones? Are those even larger? Nah, those aren't necessarily bigger deposits. They're the sites that LexCorpora associated companies have already acquired the property rights to. Or they've already retrieved the kryptonite there altogether. There were far more of these bluish green sites on the map than Clark was comfortable with. He thanked Mr. Terrific for all he had done so far, but his tone was clearly crestfallen. His new friend offered some reassurance. Whoa, no need to be down, Superman. We got this on lock. You'll see. We'll figure this whole kryptonite situation out. Clark liked this positive attitude and hoped it might give him some guidance. Thanks, Mr. Terrific. But what do I do in the meantime? Can you think of anything I can do to protect myself? Have you talked to Star Labs about it yet? Huh. No, I haven't. Clark knew of Star Labs, but talking to them hadn't crossed his mind. Oh, you really gotta check them out. They work pretty tight with the Flash, and they're where we get all our super suits from. At least that's where Ray makes them. You have a super suit too? Man, you got no end to these questions. What are you, a newspaper reporter? Clark gave him a wry smile. Mr. Terrific went on, giving Clark a wink in return. Yeah, I've got one. I've got it under my tracksuit. I don't always need to be spawning that spandex or ooplex or whatever it's called. But what about you? Where did you get this suit? Superman was unsure how to explain it. Oh, uh, my mom made it for me. What? That is tight. Your mom. Is it durable too? Oh yeah, entirely. Dang, can I touch it? Oh, uh, sure. I mean, I don't want to impose. No, not at all. Go ahead. Mr. Terrific didn't wait for another invitation. He picked up the end of Superman's cape. It was softer than anything he had ever felt before. Your mama really made this. Clark gave him a wry smile and a wink. 
leaving Mr. Terrific in doubt as to whether he was really a reporter after all. Clark brought the conversation back to more pressing concerns. But do you think Star Labs can help? Oh sure, Superman, don't you worry. We'll figure something out. We've got the best minds on Earth working on this. We got you. Superman hoped so. He felt so powerless against Kryptonite, yet he no longer felt like he had to go at it alone. With the support of his friends, over the course of weeks, Clark's confidence started returning. Lois must have noticed. She became warmer with him than she had been in the past months. They started to flirt again here and there. I've got to admit, Clark, your ability to not take me too seriously is truly unique. In a good way, I hope. Let's just say it's something special. The appreciation was mutual. Unfortunately, Clark's schedule had become rather complex. Besides being a reporter and a superhero, Superman had events he was expected to attend. One afternoon, he found time between a pre-race weigh-in with The Flash and his first appointment at Star Labs to briefly see Lois at work. Her face lit up when he walked into the office. Hey, there you are. Hi, Lois. You seem to be in a good mood. I guess I'm just glad to see you. It's good to see you too. They chit-chat for a moment while Clark picked up some files, though he hadn't planned on staying long. Lois talked idly, as though she was dancing around a subject on her mind. Clark could tell she was doing this, but he knew it didn't matter if he pressed her. She had to get to it in her own time. He kept chatting as long as he could, but he had to dash off before she got to her point. Being capable of getting anywhere in Metropolis in just seconds had made Clark prone to cut it close for scheduled meetings and events. There was no time to explain. He had to cut Lois off mid-sentence and leave in a hurry. In hindsight, having seen how bothered she was when he left so abruptly, he regretted his sudden departure. He didn't want to offend Lois while their relationship seemed to be picking up again, yet this appointment in particular was important. This was his first official visit to Star Labs to see Dr. Emil Hamilton. Clark had never had a doctor's appointment before, and he didn't want to be late to his first. Upon arriving, it turned out being late was unavoidable. The security guard had a grand time pretending not to recognize him. In a jovial bit, he gave Clark a hard time for not having an ID. Nah, I'm just kidding, Superman. But would you sign my coffee mug? And while you're at it, how about signing my kid's Superman hat? He had a hat, mug, and pen all on him. Ah, uh, thanks, Superman. You are the best. It's a pleasure to meet you. My name's Rudy. Rudy Jones. When Rudy finally buzzed him in, Clark was definitely late. I'm so sorry I'm late, Dr. Hamilton. I totally didn't have any ID, and then I found myself signing autographs. I really apologize. It's to be expected. You are our highest profile patient. It's an absolute honor to meet you. Well, it's an honor to meet you too, Dr. Hamilton. Oh, you flatter me. But tell me, Superman, what can I do for you? Superman told Dr. Hamilton all about his discovery of kryptonite and his reaction to it. The doctor wasn't familiar with kryptonite, but he was undeterred to learn. This is what I would call a data problem. The more we learn, the less of a problem we will have. And since we don't yet have a sample of this intriguing substance, we can collect data from you. Let's run some diagnostics and establish a baseline for your health. This way, should you become exposed again, we can run all these tests once more and have something to compare the results to. Only then will we have an understanding of its physiological effect on you. The tests consisted of lifting, running, basic blood pressure, and pulse, as well as various scans. For their records, Clark bit off a sliver of his fingernail as a biological sample. Dr. Hamilton assured Superman that collecting more data would inevitably lead to better understanding, 
and encouraged him to come back soon so they could keep running tests. Late that evening, after his examination, Clark went back to work. He had to finish a story for his column, which was due the next day. He wanted to get it done that night. The race against the Flash was tomorrow, and he expected the fanfare and ceremonies of Central City to take up most of the day. When he got to the Daily Planet, he found Lois was still there, working alone. She was vocally upset that he had left so abruptly and didn't care for an apology. And where did you even need to be in such a hurry anyway? I had to get to a doctor's appointment. Her demeanor softened completely with this news. Really? Is everything okay, Clark? Oh yeah, I'm totally fine. Just a checkup. She stiffened up again. There it is. You never open up to me. Everything is so secretive with you. What are you talking about? The doctor said I was fine. Can't I just be fine? Yeah, Clark. Be fine. Be whatever you want. Just don't open up to me about it, because that is clearly the last thing you intend to do. Clark almost told her then that he was Superman. Yet he didn't think it was nice of him to have left so quickly that afternoon. Revealing his identity to justify his actions was a poor defense, but Clark wasn't sure a better time would come. Just as he opened his mouth to tell her, she stormed away, leaving Clark by himself to finish his writing. With his column complete, he filled the rest of the evening flying around the world, helping where he was needed. He kept busy until heading to the race. His conversation with Lois weighed on him. Thankfully, by always being needed somewhere, it was easy for Superman to distract himself. For the best distraction, Central City knew how to throw a party. Clark had a great time, both as a mild-mannered reporter with an array of activities to participate in and as the guest of honor himself. When it came time for the race, Clark wasn't so sure which of them was faster. He was worried that one of the charities might take away a much smaller prize depending on which of them won the race. Clark decided he would simply pace himself and go whatever speed the flash went. This theory proved far more challenging in application. The race would be from Central City to Metropolis in the east, back west across the whole country to Coast City, and finally back to Central City to finish. Just before they started, the Flash took Superman aside. Hey, look here, Supes. Sometimes when I do this kind of stuff, criminals try to plan some grand heist to coincide. If that happens, I'm wearing an earpiece so I can be informed. If I run off all of a sudden, I might need to call a redo on the race. Cool? Yeah, sure. If that happens, I can help. Cool. They'll love that. Now I'm kind of hoping someone tries something. As they readied at the starting line, the Flash had one more question. Hey, are you going to fly, or are you running? Oh, I figured we were both running. It doesn't seem fair if I have no friction or obstacles. Hey, whatever you think you need to do. Good luck. Hearing the Flash's confidence, Clark wondered if he was making a mistake by running instead of flying. As the starting flag rose in the air, Clark concentrated on one goal, to stay alongside the Flash. When the flag came down, the two of them disappeared from sight, and a rumble of thunder roared across the land. Clark had never moved so fast in his life. He didn't understand what he was experiencing, but the world around them had taken on new colors. He looked over to the Flash as they ran, and the Flash glanced back, perturbed to see Superman so close. He mustered more speed, and Superman sped up with him, as though they were tethered. Clark could only relax into the experience. His body was being moved by some incomprehensible force. By not resisting, he flowed smoothly alongside the Flash, but it took all of his strength to do so. Clark was unable to know where they were or how much time was passing. 
As abruptly as it all had started, he was relieved to find himself at the finish line, truly out of breath for the first time in his life. The race ended in a tie, but the Flash barely appeared to be tired at all. If anything, he was a little disappointed in himself. He'd gone into this race certain he would win. The Flash congratulated Superman nonetheless. When he caught his breath, Clark was exhilarated by the experience. The festivities went well into the night. Both of the charities had won that day, and that was all that really mattered to Superman. Clark wasn't feeling so down as he had been. But deep inside he knew better. All of this was just a distraction. Nothing had changed between him and Lex Luthor. Thank you for listening. I'm Isaac Bluefoot. Son of L is written and produced by myself. If you're enjoying this audiobook, please recommend it to friends and write a review. I really appreciate it. Another way to show support is at patreon.com bluefoot. This story was inspired by the Superman and DC comics and characters, originally created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, with additional contributions by Tony Isabella, Trevor Von Eden, Jerry Conway, Bob Oxner, Bill Finger, Bob Kane, Erwin Hansen, Robert Kaninger, Carmine Infantino, Dennis O'Neill, Dick Dillon, Mort Weisinger, George Papp, John Ostrander, Tom Mandrake, Joe Brzezowski, Marv Wolfman, and Jerry Ordway. Manuscript editing assistance by Trisha Reel. Music in this episode was made by Chad Crouch, Sergey Quadrado, ScanGlobe, BioUnit, Abstract Nostalgic Fractal Systems, Frequency Decree, Blue Dot Sessions, Mellow C, and Meter. See the episode notes for details. For more of my work, get yourself a deck of OmenQuest cards at omenquestcards.com. Advanced conversation starting technology. And be sure to listen to the next episode. Chapter 9. New from Star Labs.